0: Don't you just love this story? How, what better ending to the Gospel of John than this? You, you figure, how will a Gospel end? Um, over the last uh, 30 years, and probably uh, reading it all of my life, this passage is incredibly special, and it tells us um, a, a lot about, uh, about our Lord, um, and, and what he does intimately for a person, um, even you, even me, that this good shepherd is ever-present, and I'll talk about that right now, I guess, that I think uh, other than Jesus in the Gospels, Simon Peter, uh, by the way, Peter's his nickname, you know that, he's mentioned some 200 times as Simon Peter, Uh, and then all of the other disciples, their names were probably about 50, and that tells me a lot about the importance of Peter. Jesus would say at Caesarea Philippi that Upon you, Peter, uh, the rock, I will build my church. so he 's a very significant guy, and but we know that Simon Peter is a little bit impulsive, As a matter of fact, the best uh, uh, analogy or the best statement I have about Peter is ready, fire, aim because that's the way he lived his life. He was uh, impulsive, he probably had a short temper. Uh, he was probably good with a sword. Remember when he cuts off uh, the Malchus uh, servant of uh, uh, of Malchus's ear, uh, and then I wonder if he put it on upside down to Jesus, uh, whatever. But he was a very, very close friend of Jesus. And it reminds me that there was a time after the arrest, and I think the beloved disciple John had ushered him meaning Simon Peter, into the courtyard just outside of Annas' house. Jesus was placed there because it was the only capital prison, prison cell that there was in all of Jerusalem during that time. And he was now making his first appearance before Caiaphas, the high priest for that year. And meanwhile, outside, there is uh, Simon Peter. He's warming his hands by a charcoal fire. You read about that in John 18. And you know the rest of the story. We we see that there are people interrogating him. And they're saying, you know, you're a Galilean. You have this really distinct accent. Are you one of these, are you one of the disciples or followers of Jesus, that guy that's inside Annas' house right now, the high priest? Um, And and it keeps on going. And, And he says, no, no, no. And then a rooster crows. And it's one of those moments where Peter reflects back to what Jesus said. Peter had said in the 18th chapter of Matthew, verse 33, I'll not desert you. I'll not be like these guys. I'm not going to stumble. And maybe these guys are. I'll even follow you unto death. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus was right about what Peter was. It's that Peter denied him three times. And to enunciate this, there would be a rooster crowing. There's a church where that took place. It's called Peter at Galangantu. Peter at the cock crowing. Peter wept bitterly. And church tradition has it that the stairs that go away from that ancient courtyard are bleached white from the tears of Peter. Broken. Destitute spiritually. He had betrayed someone that he had pledged that was the son of the God most high. And now, and now what? And now what? He goes into hiding. He's not there for the rest of the trial. He's not there at the foot of the cross when Jesus is staked between heaven and earth. He's not there when... He's taken off by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to put, be put in a borrowed tomb. He was not in that tomb. He was not anywhere near it until he was alerted by it by Mary at Easter. He is locked in a room for fear of the Jews. You know the rest of the story. But now he's down at the Sea of Galilee. He's down at the Sea of Galilee, and, and he goes fishing. I, I think I'll go fishing. This is what I know the best. I'm not worthy to follow the man from Galilee. I'm not worthy. And so they go fishing. How many fish did they catch? I'm sorry, I can't hear, I'm getting old. How about, well, they start off, I mean, when Jesus directs them, right, throw your net to the other side, throw it to the starboard side, you'll catch all the fish you want. But at first, these professional fishermen, they caught goose eggs. Zero, zero professional fishermen. Well, by the way, did you notice something about the 21st chapter of John? Is that John is now putting all the pieces together, that all of the themes of the gospel of John are now put here. When did Jesus call the disciples, especially Simon Peter, who's in the morning, and after what? Is after they had fished all night, what did they catch? Zero. After Jesus says, cast your net here, and all these fish came in, from now on, you'll be fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of children. Don't you remember that? So now, once again, at the daylight hours, they're fishing, and they catch zero, nothing. And then, the disciple whom the Lord loved, the uh, disciple John, points to the shoreline and recognizes that it's Jesus and tells everybody it's, it's the Lord. And then Peter jumps in with clothes on, luckily, and swims to shore. However it was, I don't care. But in that moment, I wonder what it was like. Did he stand there sheepishly before his Lord? Was he flat on his face? This broken man who betrayed, denied Jesus three times. Go get some fish, fish that you just caught, the 153 of them, right? And here's another fishes and loaves story that it may not have been 5,000, but it was just enough for the disciples that were there. Just enough, just enough. I wonder what Jesus did before he served the meal. Do you think he broke bread and blessed it and thanked? God for what was being provided? I think so. Another instance maybe of John not having the institution of the Lord's Supper in his gospel, but here is an evidence of it right here. When the, when the breakfast was over, he took Peter, and I, I think I've been reading this passage for all these years, and I, I have the feeling that he was gathered them all around in a circle. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than all these folks around this fire right now? A charcoal fire, by the way. And I bet he's going, why the charcoal fire? Why now? And it's a question that cuts him right to the marrow. Lord, you know that I love you. And then you know the rest tend my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Varying degrees, and what's happening here? What's happening here? Why is he using an analogy for sheep? Why is he doing that? Because he's the good shepherd, is Jesus. This good shepherd is not going to leave or forsake any of the sheep. And Where's Monroe? He's gone, but as he was wandering around, he's not going to allow Peter to wander around spiritually. He wants to restore him. For here is a good shepherd that reminds us in the 23rd Psalm, he restoreth my Soul, Peter, I know what you've done. I knew it was going to happen. But don't let it take you away from what you're being called to do. Don't let it take you away from the mission that I'm going to place a church upon your shoulders. And by the way, it seems like all the other disciples as well. I want you to shepherd them. I want you to take care of them. I want you to feed them and tend them as if they were your own. And Peter, what this is gonna mean for you is that it's gonna be an act of sacrifice on your part. It's gonna be an act of denial. It's going to be very difficult, for sheep are very difficult to tend and to feed. It may even mean your life, Peter, and most likely will. Peter was restored. I don't think he can get any lower than what Peter was. And I say this today because during this Lenten season, I think that we can really identify with Peter. I think we can identify him because there's been times where we kind of wander away. We, we don't want to listen to the soft, still voice. We, we know that we can hear the master's voice as we read in John chapter 10, but we don't always respond and we deny him betray him for our own safety and security. But still, he's willing to restore you better than new to the point where your cup runneth over. So are you willing to allow the restorative powers of Jesus to be present in your life during the season of Lent and beyond? For this is also a story of turning from being a believer where it's cognitive. A profession of faith now is a profession that is magnified by the heart and multiplied by the work of the hands. Where Peter goes from being a believer to a follower. And even though Follow me is mentioned some 100 times in the New Testament. I think Peter probably hears it for the first time. Follow me. Don't worry about what's going on with John or whatever. But you do the work that I've called you to. And that's our calling as church. That's our calling as being a follower of Jesus Christ to realize that it's not just a pastor that's pastor. Shepherd but it's all of us, all of us who have families and friends that our sphere of influence extends that we have folks to shepherd and take care of for we're listening for the voice of Jesus. I hope that you're prepared to do that. Allow Jesus to restore you so that you might always be an Easter people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you've never been baptized, come on in. The water's fine. And I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you today, if there is any of you today that have not professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you come forward right now. Why wait? Why wait? If you've been baptized, if you're yearning for a church home, I pray that this would be it. Your search is over. Sitting beside you and all around you are folks that love and care for you and your family. And we invite you, even at home, that you would become a part of the Wesley United Methodist Church at Frederica. And we play, while we play our last hymn today, I'll stand right here and I'll wait for you to come. And lastly, and most importantly, if you're broken right now or if you're yearning to be restored by the master, this prayer rail is open. It's a unique piece of architecture in the church and it was built exclusively so that you could become two feet shorter and kneel and pray, thank, and ask to be restored or just praise him for the fact that you have been restored by the blood of the Lamb.